morning, Goldendale, and hello to all of my fellow liberty-loving Americans all across the fruited plains from sea to shining sea. This is the host who loves you the most, Luke Throop, here on another fiery, fantastic, fabulous Friday morning, friends. Torch Report 331, the slow roll of insanity. The slow roll of insanity. We're going to take a step back and put it all into perspective because you know what? It's happening. Of course, it's happening right out in front of God and everybody. The whole world is coming apart at the seams, and that is all part of the plan. But let's not lose sight of the fact that this has all happened before. Now, I read an interesting article this morning that talked about how the United States seems to go crazy about every 50 years or so. And they started back with the War of 1812. Uh, The author was connecting dots between the events and the upheaval that took place throughout the Civil War, both the World Wars, the Civil Rights Movement, uh, went on to draw a connection between the Black Lives Matters, mostly peaceful protests uh, here recently, and of course, they're connecting that to the violent Black Panthers from 50 years prior. At any rate, in every case... America seemed to be going crazy and and liberties were being violated and and there was great political dysfunction and it seems to happen about every 50 years. It's kind of like the generational uh, theories, uh, the fourth turning and all that, but this is a little bit different. I thought that's pretty good. You know, I, I like I like the way they laid that out. And of course, here we are now dealing with all of that and more because not only are we in the generational cycles and we're in this political cycle and all that kind of stuff and the stars are aligning. I guess there's supposed to be like five planets are aligning or something like that. I saw that out there today. Uh, But the point I want to make here is that after each episode of national insanity in the past, we've generally returned to normal quote unquote, you know, once, once the dust is settled, of course that was a new normal and things had changed. Uh, But our, our country, you know, we, got through it, right? And if we could make it through all of that, you know, Civil War, the War of 1812, blah, 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 then we can make it through all of this, you know, or so the thinking goes. Uh, Of course, things have changed a lot since the early 1800s. Uh, not the least of which is the unfathomable expansion of the federal bureaucracy, the fabrication of fiat currency, and the advent of modern technology, which you know they could use to manipulate the populations in ways that no tyrant in history could have possibly imagined. Uh, and that, to me, means that things are going to be different this time. It's just, it's just different this time. When... The internet was just taken off. You know, way back in the dot-com era, I used to talk about the the dawn of global connectivity. And it was a concept that had really intrigued my mind. I was really thinking about it a lot. I thought, you know, never before had everyone in the world been able to communicate virtually in real time all around the globe. Uh, I don't know if you ever had pen pals or anything like that when you were a kid, but, you know, people used to send letters across the globe. It took time in that in that article about the War of 1812. It was, you know, the war was started and over before the cable ever got across. There was no cable uh, before the communication got across the, the Atlantic. Anyway, now that we are in this this age of global connectivity. And everybody can talk to everybody all the time, essentially, this new communication has 
it caused an explosion of innovation, explosion of learning and working together. It's pretty amazing how we can connect and collaborate at the global level. Really cool. You know, being able to talk to anyone, anywhere, anytime. This is this has been a boon for humanity. And it's also been a boon for the political class and the global elites, because for the first time in human history, global leaders could coordinate their efforts for the sake of the greater good. Now, think about how appealing that is. Global leaders can now work together towards common interests. They can work together for the greater good. They can work together for the good of humanity. They can pool their resources, their talents, their time, their might, you know, and together they can accomplish grand achievements at the global level. Things that were never possible before, now they're possible. The positive potential is huge. And it, it, it's not all bad, friends. You look at it and think, wow, this is great. But as the pandemic made so painfully clear, there is an equally negative potential that comes with all of this global coordination. Gosh, if all of these great global leaders started getting together and decided that to forcefully impose their will upon the unsuspecting peasants of the world, you know, things could get kind of uh, dark pretty quick, you know. But something that fascinates me, or I should say has fascinated me the most as I've been digging into the sordid history of the global cabal is how organized they are. Okay, we're talking about the potential for positive impact, the potential for negative impact that comes with being able to communicate all around the world. What, what I've learned as I've dug in is how organized they, they are and how organized they've been since long before the Internet. Before they had the ability to communicate in real time, they had been coordinating globally. Okay? They are meticulous and they are methodical. There have been a lot of very brilliant minds that have been tackling the task of wrangling the whole of humanity for at least a century, a century or more. They've understood human nature. They've understood how to manipulate emotions and perspectives and behavior. They've known how to form a consensus, how to build capacity, how to launch initiatives, how to roll out an agenda. You know, in other words, friends, they, they've mastered the political craft. For a long, long time, long before the advent of these technologies, the internet, etc. Now these political masters or these master politicians, they have all this technology and they're using it to treat us like hackable animals. They're using it to institute global digital governance, to usher us into a new world order. And they've told us that that's what they intend to do. And that is exactly what they are doing. That is the overarching trajectory of the current geopolitical chaos. So out in the news today, all this stuff about, oh, my gosh, you know, some Iran uh, Iranian drone, you know, blew up some stuff over in Syria. Troops died. You know, now we, then then Biden launched airstrikes and then Iran's retaliating from that. I mean, come on. We're picking a fight with Iran. We're picking a fight with the Russians. We're picking a fight with the Chinese, you know, picking a fight with the Mexicans. I don't know. It's just crazy what's going on right now. But all of this geopolitical chaos, I believe, is being orchestrated, and it is it is part of this great reset to usher us into global digital governance. Uh, being methodical, the masters of strategy and manipulation that they are, the global elite are systematically dismantling the world as we know it, 
in order to implement their utopian dreams. Okay, the new world order in their mind is a really great idea. It's future Earth. It's it's how they're going to save the planet. Okay, and again, I just I want to emphasize that their plan is absolutely meticulous, absolutely methodical. It's masterful, and it is in motion. Okay, all of the documents, all of the treaties, all of the workshops, all of the conferences, everything that's been going on for a hundred years now being accelerated exponentially by the by, by the modern technology. Friends, this is what we're up against. And in many ways, we can marvel at it. Like, wow, holy smokes, you know, look how effective they've been. Look how far they've come. Look how close they are to pulling this whole thing off, you know, that that to globally coordinate leadership for the greater good look what the look what they've done but you know marveling at that of course would be overlooking all of the pain and suffering the intentional pain and suffering that's been associated with the process so you know as i've said many times pain is all part of the plan precisely because it keeps the peasants pliable we suffer they don't and that is key to understanding how this all unfolds the Great Reset is designed to disrupt the lives of the elite as little as possible, while simultaneously destroying life as we know it and fundamentally transforming global society. So think about it for a second. Oh, I was having a conversation yesterday, and and the conversation turned toward run on the bank and digital currencies and all that kind of stuff, you know, versus getting your money out of the bank and getting gold or silver or you know other durable assets. We're talking about that, and and the idea was that you know what maybe they shut down the banking system and it shut down for a while. And I thought, you know what, uh, that's not really going to work for the global elites to just shut down the whole system for a while. You know what I mean? It doesn't mean that there wouldn't be a cyber attack or, you know, a nuclear war or an EMP or solar flare taking out the grid. It's not that that can't happen, but I don't know that that's part of their plan because their plan is not to, you know, disrupt their own lives. It's to disrupt our lives and consolidate control. And they would be much more uh, well off if they could incentivize, if they could get people to buy into the digital currency as opposed to destroying the whole system uh, and and having to deal with that mess. So in that spirit of trying to imagine how the, the global elite, how the global cabal is thinking about that, I want to kind of go through a hypothetical thought experiment here. I want you to imagine, if you will, that you are a, now a global leader. You Maybe you are even one of the most elite, the hand-selected, esteemed young global leaders that are exalted by the WEF. You are intelligent, you are energetic and ambitious, and your mission is to keep people safe and save the planet. But it's more than just a mission. Now, this is your moral imperative. It is your inspiration, and this passionate conviction fuels your determination to do good and make the world a better place. As an aspiring altruist, being a young global leader gives you access to nearly limitless resources. Now you are networked with the most powerful politicians and business moguls in the world. The collective might of these proven leaders who now you're rubbing elbows with, the elders of the elite, is awe-inspiring. Man, look at these people. Look what they've done. Look who they are. You are grateful for the opportunity to, to rub elbows and even be mentored by these great pillars of civil society. You were born for big things. 
and your acceptance in this group is proof of your role in shaping the world. Can you imagine being one of these young global leaders built up in the in the you know in the eyes of the World Economic Forum and all these pillars of civil society? Can you imagine how that feels? How it might feel standing in their shoes? Imagine how it might feel being in Davos. Imagine sitting on stage and talking with leaders from around the globe discussing how to manage the future of humanity with the whole world looking on. Wow, now that's power. It's the pinnacle of power. And the the natural question arises, if you're a young global leader in this powerful position, how are you going to use this power? How are you going to use this power for the greater good? You know, you, you got to use this power to keep people safe and save the planet. That's the moral imperative. That's your zenith. That's your muse. With this great power comes the responsibility to protect people from everything <laughs> you know you you must use this power to protect people from preventable death and disease you must use this power to protect people from discrimination and inequality and injustice you must use this power to protect people from greedy corporations and predatory capitalists and threats to democracy friends this is how you must use this power for the greater good With this great power and this great responsibility comes the great moral obligation to keep people safe from misinformation, to keep people safe from invisible enemies, to keep people safe from being bullied or mistreated. With this moral obligation comes the unshakable conviction that something radical must be done to address all of the growing inequities, to address the disparities, the injustices, and the utter unfairness that's being perpetrated by all those racist imperialist capitalists who are destroying the planet with their greed. This is what you must do. (laughs) Or so the story goes, you know, as a young global leader, you believe this through and through. Your mind has been steeped in this truth since the earliest days of your institutional indoctrination. You see evidence that supports this worldview everywhere you look. You know that you're right, that your mission is just, that you have a moral obligation to keep people safe and save the planet. There is no doubt in your mind. This conviction is affirmed and invigorated time and time again. Every time you go to one of these exclusive planning conferences that you get invited to that nobody else gets invited to. But, hey, I get to go. I get to go rub elbows with the big boys, you know, because I'm important and I've got power to make a difference. Maybe some of the peasants don't really agree with your vision. Maybe the peasants aren't really ready to accept your plans, but of course, as a young global leader, as a member of, uh, of the global elite, uh, you, you realize that that's because the, pegnerns, the peasants, I'm sorry, are ignorant and backwards, right? The peasants don't trust the science. The peasants don't have the capacity to crunch the data. They don't know what they don't know. You know, most of these peasants can hardly even take care of themselves. So they certainly don't know what's best for the rest of civil society. You know, clearly the peasants have not yet evolved into enlightened beings like the enlightened leaders have. Okay, piss on the peasants. You know, you are powerful and you have a plan. They might bitch about it, but you know that your mission is for the greater good. So they'll just have to get over it. That's the consensus in your circle of influence as a young global leader. 
As a young global leader, you are working with other enlightened leaders. And together you have the capacity as enlightened leaders, you can change the world. And now is the time. Time is running out. If you want to keep people safe and save the planet, all of the enlightened leaders of the world must unite and take radical, unprecedented action to completely restructure the whole of civilization. <laughs> Lest you wobble as a young global leader, you need to look no further than page 145 of COVID-19, The Great Reset, and read the section titled Enlightened Leadership. To reconfirm your conviction, you know, governments must be led by enlightened leaders such as yourself. You know, enlightened leaders understand how to make good use of the pandemic and not let the crisis go to waste. These are direct quotes right out of the book. You know, as an enlightened leader, you understand how to take advantage of the shock in order to implement far-reaching, long-lasting societal change. That's coming right out of the book. You know, for the last three years, that's exactly what you've been working so tirelessly to do. But, friends, let's get back to reality. <laughs> I'm just an ignorant peasant. I, I don't know how you self-identify, but you probably don't self-identify as a young global leader or an enlightened leader of any sort. But the good news is you don't have to be an enlightened leader to understand how they think. They are inspired to change the world. And they believe that now is the time to act. They operate on the assumption that there is a very narrow window of opportunity to keep people safe and save the planet. Their moral conviction is unshakable. It's, it's actually enviable. You know, if, if everybody had the moral conviction of these enlightened leaders, then maybe we could get some traction and take a little more action to get our country back on course. But, you know, these these global elites, these enlightened leaders, their courage is bolstered by their individual and collective power. Okay, if you put yourself in their shoes, they 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 I'm sure believe that there's nothing that can stop them and that they have again this moral obligation to rule our lives. Friends, their story is compelling. But our story is compelling as well. <laughs> we are in the fight of our lives and the future of humanity hangs in the balance. The human spirit is under assault. Our minds are being attacked. Our children are being abused. Our culture is being sacrificed on the altar of woke ideologies. Society is sick. The public has been infected with a mimetic virus, you know, this, this mental virus that's driving mass psychosis and self-destructive behavior that's manifesting at every level of society. And all of this is being driven by the great narrative of the global cabal. Friends, in their story, they win. You know, cultural revolution is inherently messy, but if they just slow roll the insanity of it all, they won't have to get too dirty in the process, friends. And that's why I think, you know, this, they're going to keep slow rolling. It's going to keep being smoke and mirrors and dog and pony show and all that kind of stuff. If we allow ourselves to get caught up in all of that hype, we are playing right into their hand. What we need to do is take a deep breath. 
look around and see that life is good and say, give me liberty or give me death. I will live free or die and resist. We must. (laughs) And that is the message of my heart for today. Friends, if you're enjoying this podcast, please take the time to find that little heart on the Substack app or on the website. Click that heart and give me some love. Subscribe if you have not subscribed already. Don't forget you can support this publication by joining the Patriot Club. And of course, the greatest honor of all is if you share this podcast with everyone you know. Get out there and embrace this fine, fabulous, fantastic Friday. Have a wonderful weekend, friends. Hey, don't forget, you can tune in. Uh, There's a link there on the website. You can tune in to the Torch Report Weekend Review one hour, one o'clock on Sunday. That said, friends, get out there and embrace this day, and I'll look forward to talking to you again soon.